Oh, fuck. Um, I forgot to mention this um, in the episode. Do you know that bit where the Frenkie's talking to the person and he's holding his uh, like hands like that? Yeah. Like that. They had the actors involved have confirmed that that is that Ferengi telling that woman that how big his dick is. <laughs> <laughs> Excellent. Right. I thought that might be the case. Podcasts. A Frontier. These are the voyages of the podcast Captain Slog. Its ongoing mission to explore strange new episodes, to seek out new jokes and new references, to split infinitives that no one has split before. Captain Slog, Stardate 55. These are the continued voyages of um, Eddie Edwards and his friend and colleague, Mr. Mark Bench, as we trek our way through all of Star Trek. Um, Mark, how have you been? What have you been up to? <coughs> I'm doing well. I've uh, been watching a lot of TV recently. TV's getting really good. I don't know if you've <laughs> noticed. <laughs> yeah, I, I would. I, I, I know, I'm, I'm going to coin a term here. Um, I really think it's a golden age of television. I, and I, you can you can write that down. Just cite me. I find myself course. quite late to the party on some things, quite a lot of things. I have luckily found myself late to the party on things that other people haven't heard of the party yet. Oh right, okay. So that's been quite nice. Like I think there's going to be a somewhat bit of a resurgence, I think, of a show called Station Eleven after um, the Last of Us because it has quite a almost a sort of very similar premise. Uh, but it's a bit more hopeful, and uh, so I'm, I'm ahead of the curve on that. So I pat myself on the back for that one. Uh, the bear, real good. <laughs> There's a joy to being behind the curve, though, because I like. So um, I I genuinely despise. I I don't like having people recommend TV shows to me, like when everyone's doing it. I find it a little bit like. Um, like it's like if I'm at a party and somebody recommends a movie to me, that's kind of okay. But I view that as the same as like somebody recommending a book. Yeah. But when but when somebody recommends a TV show and it's on like five seasons, I feel that's more like somebody going like, "Oh, have you read the New York Times? Yeah, you need to read all of the New York Times." <laughs> and it's like, no, I'm not. It, it puts me in a position where I'm really like against doing it. So basically, this is a long way of saying I didn't watch Breaking Bad until about four years after it had finished and it was a, a joyful experience to watch um, and Skylar did nothing wrong because Walt isn't the hero, you idiots uh, Yeah, I was, I was expecting it to be much worse as a character from the internet in general and I was like, oh she's just trying to deal with the fact that her husband is a horrifying near supervillain level criminal <laughs> Yeah, there's a sitcom that I have quote unquote discovered um, that played on Comedy Central in like 2017 that I've not heard anyone speaking about but I have seen it come up recently it came up on a podcast I listened to quite a lot and it came up on quite a lot of those out of context what is the funniest joke ever written for a TV show Twitter threads 
Right. And it's this TV show, it's called Review with Forrest McNeil. And I think that Laura hates it. <laughs> but I can't get it off. I think it's the funniest show I've ever seen. It's about a guy who's just like this kind of two-bit TV journalist, like this kind of panorama-type host. And he reviews things, but he doesn't review like regular things like books or movies. He, re- he reviews life experiences that are suggested by the viewers. <laughs> okay. And there's always multiple ones that he does in an episode. So in the first one, he has to uh, review stealing. <laughs> <laughs> and then addiction. Uh, so he gets addicted to cocaine. <laughs> and then, oh, what was what was the last one? I think the last one was racism. <laughs> Just from your description there, I'm getting like a vibe... Like a combi- a combined vibe of like always sunny in Philadelphia and Nathan for you. It's exactly like that. So Right, okay. The funniest thing in the show is that it's not just the reviews that we get to see. Like the reviews have a knock on effect on his home life and his personal life. But he just has to keep doing <laughs> of the do. show. Like one of the things that he has to review is divorce. Um, <laughs> and like he's like this this like really regular looking dude that his wife is like super hot. <laughs> and like really attracted they're like really attracted to each other and she's super into him um, and he has to divorce her and it's so horrible um, <laughs> but the best thing about it is that everyone else in his life hates him <laughs> his personal <laughs> assistant hates him his intern hates him, his assistant on the show hates him, the, or his producer thinks he's a clown oh it's it's, it's pure magic I haven't laughed this I haven't laughed this hard since I f- since I like found it's always sunny, with about nine seasons in. Yeah, I yeah. so I've I've been having a, a little joyous. Uh, I got into a, a Twitter discussion um, with somebody a, a couple. Weirdly, this is the weirdest set of circumstances I've ever experienced. Which is uh, a trans activist that I follow on Twitter tweeted out a clip of the pedo finder general from Monkey Dust. And somebody then responded to that and we ended up having a bit of an exchange about how it's hard to find. And they pointed me in the direction of a daily motion channel that basically has all of monkey dust on it. Um, and that person's avatar was them dressed in a Starfleet uniform. So my response to them doing that was to tell them that they embody all the finest qualities of Starfleet, which they said was a fine compliment. Yeah, but I've been going down that rabbit hole. And like, I, it, the thing about monkey dust is... I I think it does what all good, like truly good comedy should do, which is I feel guilty watching it. Yeah. Like I'm watching it because like I've been watching it while Emma's away. And it's like, I'm kind of doing it as a, like while Emma's away, because if I have to, like if I show this to Emma and she doesn't like it, it's not just going to be that she doesn't like it. It's going to negatively affect her opinion of me. <laughs> yeah. That I do like there's it's you know there's certain like there's a podcast i listen to called boston's favorite son and i think it's one of the funniest fucking things in the world but the fact that i like it could be used as evidence against me in court (laughs) (laughs) yeah i multiple times i've turned around to laura and said you don't have to watch this with me there are three seasons of this they are only 10 episodes each but there are three seasons and i'm going through all of it as quickly as possible (laughs) <laughs> yeah and the the flip side is that emma's currently watching all of keeping up appearances which is uh, holds up spectacularly well 
I accept. I'm going to say this. What's her, I didn't realize as a as a as a younger person watching it, but Onslow is a goddamn hero. And I'm going to say this: keeping up appearances. That's a comedy show that you couldn't make nowadays, right? Because now we know that middle class people obsessed with status are fucking rotten cunts, right? <laughs> there is nothing. If you tried to make this now, you could make. You can't. You can't. You couldn't make Hyacinth bouquet likable. You could finally expand on whether or not Richard was fucking Elizabeth next door, which he definitely was. That's the only reason that those two people remained living where they were. <laughs> Wait until High Sips on holiday for two weeks, Liz, and sell the house. <laughs> I'm not oh. familiar with the lore of uh, keeping up appearances, so uh, I guess okay. you're probably. Not. I'd I'd highly. It's all on. They've got it. It's one of the ones that have got all on iPlayer, and it's got I think like five series. And it's it's worth a watch because it is brilliantly, brilliantly observed like mockery of British class systems, whilst also some of the best written like farce. Yeah. Ever it's very, I, I I I I hesitate to use this as a comparison, and I, I do this bearing in mind how shit Britain was compared to America at the time. It's kind of the British Fraser. <laughs> <laughs> You have such a bizarrely old woman taste in television. <laughs> old women do tend to have great taste in television. Like I once heard it said, "Oh, P- I, K- K- um, last of summer's wine." Oh, your man likes it. Your man's been around for ages. She's watched loads of TV. She's probably got really good fucking taste. <laughs> oh, ridiculous! Yeah. Well, speaking of some good TV. This uh, this episode of Star Trek was pretty solid. Yeah, yeah, it's a solid episode with enough weird shit that we need to discuss. Yeah, I've taken quite a few notes. Yeah, but I can't remember what I took them in reference to. Yeah, I think at one point, at one point, does Troy ask the replicator for some ice cream? Some real ice like, cream. Some real ice cream. The replicators like, oh, I can't really do that. Does that mean that the replicators make healthy versions of all food? Ah, so I've got a question about this. Right. Do we think that this is a case of the the, the nanny state of socialism? <laughs> In that, are all replicators set that they will only knock out healthy things unless you override them? Or is that a thing that Troy is specifically... Like put on as like a her own self for her own self control. Yeah, because she can't do, she can't go into those leetard uh, stretching sessions with Beverly if she's constantly scoffing whoppers. Yeah, and she in depth discusses how well she's been fucked that day. <laughs> yeah, I don't know, man. I like the thing about any authoritarian takeover is. And I don't think people like to admit this, but there is there is like a level of what they're doing that I'm like, no, I'm on board with that. <laughs> like it, it wouldn't it wouldn't be much. It it I'd be I'd be against them fairly quickly, but there would be a couple of things where I'm like, that's not a bad idea, and quite frankly, making all food healthy versions of itself is. Yeah. Is, is an idea I am 100% on board with. If I could, I would eat only fast food. Yeah, yeah, I agree. And, I, like, and anyone who says that they wouldn't, 
No, I was going to say the lion, but that's not true. There's lots of people that wouldn't like to live like that. It's actually quite a horrific way to live. And really, I'm just trying to justify it to myself. What a horrifying decision that would be. I'm a man who can very easily, by himself, achieve a Pringles with no intention of even sharing them with the dog. And not like, I'm going to eat those Pringles over the course of a week, as in... I, me and that tube of Pringles are going to sit down, and that's what I'm doing for 10 minutes, right? <laughs> Pringles should release a tube that's not resealable with the <laughs> tagline, who are you kidding? <laughs> Look, the advert isn't once you pop, stop at a reasonable juncture. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I, I see the thing is, I think you're right about authoritarianism, because like, I'm not in favour of having like a Politburo bureau policing all media and deciding what we can and can't see. But if a government agency did decide that the Phantom Menace shouldn't exist, I actually agree with that. <laughs> like, do we get to keep the red letter review of the Phantom Menace? And they're like, yeah, we do. I'm fine, yeah. <laughs> no, because I don't, I don't like it when I have versions of things on my shelf that aren't correct. And all the Star Wars <laughs> stuff tends to be numbered. Like, I really hate that I have a Blu-ray set called Indiana Jones, The Complete Adventures. Oh, right. And I have... What does it not include? <laughs> the latest one, The Dial of Destiny. It's as if it doesn't exist. I mean, I could just swap inc- out the Crystal Skull disc. But then where would I, where would I keep it? Does it have the, the adventures of young Indiana Jones? No. Well, then it's not even complete anyway. It's not even, Fucking. yeah, it's not like the, the the old VHS copies from back in the day that had the numbers on them. So that when you bought the VHS of the Indiana Jones trilogy box set, you were like, first of all, why is this 23, 24, 25? And why is 24 first? <laughs> Especially in the days before we really had the internet. It was just a question that would haunt children. Yeah. For years. I, I went mental for Stephen King's Dark Tower. Oh, yeah. But I only bought the first three of them. And then haven't bought them since. So now I have to go out of my way to find those exact versions of those books when I finally get around to finishing it. Which you have. So I'm just, I'm just going to tell you that you have them to don't tempt myself to steal them. <laughs> I, 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 yeah, I, I'm not so, I have, I think I have the complete set. I think some of them are missing. Some of them might have been read in ebook form. So yeah, I'm the same as you. I don't have the complete set and it's a bastard. And that was and that was a bollock as well because there's an eighth book that comes out that's set in the middle of the other books. So where the fuck are we meant to put that? Oh well, Pet Cemetery fucking counts as well. That's tied into the storyline, and so is it. Yeah. Uh, also, also annoyingly, right? I have had for ages the first four Sandman collected editions, and I was like, oh, I'm I'm going to buy the rest at some point. And now that the fucking show's out, they've fucking changed. The fucking covers, um, and it's not even massively. It's just the spines, but that's the bit that I need to match. <laughs> right. In twenty uh, years, right after the apocalypse, <laughs> when somebody's cutting about London looking for food, and they come across a hard drive or a phone that has this podcast on that, they're going to be like, "I can't believe these people even thought that they had problems." Yeah, no, 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 I know that. I have seriously considered how I'm, if they're in the zombie apocalypse, I have tried my best to work out how exactly am I going to watch Jurassic Park? 
Yeah. Uh, it's difficult. I basically, I think I'm going to have to rob the PCC first uh, as well. So, anyway, this episode of Star Trek, the plot, it's a, it's a Troy episode and it's a Riker episode. And there's uh, aliens have discovered a stable wormhole that, unfortunately, due to the fact that I've watched all of Deep Space Nine, my standards for wormhole special effects are quite high. And this wormhole looks shit. Yep. Um, uh, and uh, they're auctioning off like access to the wormhole to different people. And one of the negotiators, uh, the the human negotiator, gets like whacked by the Ferengis. So Riker has to negotiate, and also some other race of center negotiator who is a bit betazoid, and he fucks Troy. That's the the two things that happen. Yeah. Yeah. But also, we get quite a lot of Troy's fate. <laughs> yeah. I think Tarantino directed this episode. I'm, I, it's, uh, I'm, I, I, this is another episode that made me Google when did Gene Roddenberry die? Because <laughs> <laughs> there's a lot in this episode that I think Rodders was on set for and was like, oh, like, um, we're just going to have an, an aerobic scene where the two girls are working out. They should talk about fucking. He said as he smoked a tab, not back at Kestrel. <laughs> On saying that, <clears throat> like, feet is like the, I'd say the most respected, accepted fetish. And if you're a filmmaker that is like, no, I'm in this for one reason and one reason alone. Yeah, the big house is nice. But I want to see fucking Martina's feet, right? You could you could get away with that pretty easily. You wouldn't have to wait until season three, unless this happens to be the thing that he's most embarrassed about. Like he'll happily tell everybody, "Oh my god, I love a frozen woman." <laughs> like that's like, I think it's the best. You not love it when women stand just completely still, and then it's only when he's about to die and he's already made his millions and like cemented his name into pop culture that he's like, get some get some toes on the screen. That's what I'm into these days. So tame. This was this was he did this episode as a way of like he, after this aired he like nudged Magell and was like right I've not brought this up before <laughs> yeah but that's what I like because yeah there's there's a, a extended foot massaging scene and I didn't I don't even if you like feet it's weirdly uncomfortable I would say I don't know television especially nineties television due to its constraints has some. Due to time constraints, usually has some like pretty interesting but pretty basic features, like the four three format, which I adore, um, is like a result of a constraint. Long lingering shots tend to be used a lot more often uh, because it's cheaper that way. But sometimes a shot lingers for so long that you really notice it, <laughs> and this was a prime example of one of them. It was just it was so long. Speaking of the the format of 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 like the constraints of this type of storytelling, people fall in love real fucking quick, don't they? In fucking episodic nineties television, because <laughs> you have to go. Person appears, they immediately fall in love, uh, and then everything's gone wrong by the end of the episode. But I mean, I guess it takes a long time to get between adventures, doesn't it? Like we hear times that. Oh, we've been on the course to Rigel seventy six for for two weeks. 
And in that time, you're not meeting anybody new. Do you know what I mean? And you've already... You and... Laura and I discussed this, or when I say that, what I mean is I brought this up and Laura looked at me with a horrified expression on her face while I tried to explain my position, which is that Riker and Troy probably have an agreement this like, look, we're out in space, I'm the first officer of, of the flagship starship, Picard's not that interested in shagging people, part of my diplomatic mission is likely going to be I'm going to have to shag a bunch of people, and yes, I look, it's a, it's a heavy crown to wear, but a crown it is nonetheless. And Troy's probably like, yeah, no, fair enough. I am a counsellor, therefore I'm going to have to fuck people as well, which is what she does in this episode. There's a discussion at the beginning of this that the guy has a like a, a woman with him and then yeah. he kind of sends her away. Like, So monogamy isn't that big a deal uh, in, the, in the Star Trek universe. Also, I think that the, the chap who appears in this episode, uh, Matt McCourt, I believe is the... Uh, sorry, Matt McCoy. Is did the you recognise him? Um, I did. Uh, I spent ages trying to work out exactly where I recognised him from. This man played the lead in Police Academy 5, Assignment Miami Beach. Yeah. Uh, he, was, he replaced Gutenberg. See, this was something... Because I recognised <laughs> him and then Laura looked him up and she went, oh, he's in a police academy. And I went, oh, that's right, he replaced Gutenberg. But then, did he? Was Gutenberg in it long enough to be replaced? I so it's, it's five. I think Gutenberg, as I recall, does the first four. McCoy does Assignment Miami Beach. Aye, and then I God, I, it, it, this is the problem. I don't know the numbers, but I know it's Jesse um, from Diagnosis Murder is the main character in Operation Moscow. Yeah, but which has Ron Perlman as the bad guy? Okay. My video shop had all of the all of the Police Academy movies, and for some reason, my parents were okay with me watching them, even though they had some deeply inappropriate content. <laughs> so yeah, I, I, I've watched all of the Police Academy movies multiple times, even though there are better movies. <laughs> yeah, but this is what life was like before Netflix, kids. <laughs> Well, it was, because my upbringing was a bit different. Uh, we never really got videos out of the video shop. We did occasionally. Uh, but we tended to get movies because my parents bought them off of someone down the pub. Or because my dad worked for Sky, I think we got a discount on the movie channels pretty quickly. Oh, right. Oh, yeah, so, so I, so, so posh bastard. The days before Netflix <laughs> for me were slightly different. I just had to... I couldn't watch Police Academy 4 at my leisure. I had to wait for it to come on Sky Cinema Gold. <laughs> <laughs> or on Paramount Comedy Channel, where that one would have adverts, which I wasn't as happy about. Look, you weren't you weren't missing out. I, I will I will genuinely, from a completely non-ironic standpoint, Police Academy One is a great movie. Police Academy Two is an is an is a good movie. I will I will go to bat for everything up to Citizen Lord Patrol. Um, <laughs> right? well, when Bobcat Goldthwait does a face turn. Yeah. <laughs> yeah that's that's when I, I I will go to um like Tackleberry and Hightower great comic comedy car we spent too much time talking about police academy <laughs> any amount of time talking about the police academy movies is probably too much time um, <laughs> um but, it's, yeah. it's good that LinkedIn survived World War 3 <laughs> cuz Troy just looks this guy up oh he's from Belgium yeah I was born inside. He was born in the European Alliance. Yep. So those are still things. 
good for us. <laughs> Hopefully. Yeah. Oh, yeah, and hopefully we're back in it by then. Uh, I like um, the Ferengis turn up and seem my, mainly concerned with seating arrangements, which is <laughs> <laughs> like, get us a chair. I, I, what, that's, I love how much of a thing they make about want a chair. But equally, yeah. I, I do agree, a chair should be provided. <laughs> yeah. Don't have to stand. That's... And also, I, I, I quite like their offer of whatever, whatever anyone else is paying, we'll pay that plus this bag of gold. <laughs> like, I can't think of any situation that that wouldn't work in. So I've got, I've, I have, I want to talk about this genuinely. Um, gold, any mineral, any element has no value, right? In in a what spacefaring, it's like oh, there's a, there's a comet made of diamonds that's like half the size of the moon somewhere in space, and it's like. So that means all diamonds are worthless, if you know what I mean. Well, there's that, <clears throat> but there's also the gold press latinum. They had they had to they had to come up with because uh, they had to have something. So it's it's un you can't replicate it. It's unreplicatable, same as dilithium. Yeah, and it's a made up Star Trek bollocks thing. So maybe it's super rare. You yeah. can only get it on one planet. Yeah. Yeah. Because so I guess that's because that is the economics of the future, isn't it? When when everything else is in abundance, the one thing that you have to work for or you can potentially have all of it, that's what everyone's going to want. Yeah, yeah. It's a thing I've always um, I heard ages ago, which was talking about diamonds, which is if all rabbits died tomorrow, rabbit shit would be worth more than diamonds. Yeah. Like value is relative and foolish and you don't need to worry too much about it like 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 it's just diamonds are just rocks that the beers want you to think you're expensive um yeah <laughs> o'brien watch all oh, right okay actually i did some research on this episode and initially we were supposed to get an opening bit that had troy actually like giving therapy to people right and the original script had her giving O'Brien therapy about his problems that he was having with his girlfriend, Mitzi. Mitzi's definitely the name of a cat. Uh, on the one hand, I'm, I'm sad that we didn't get O'Brien in therapy, but on the other hand, I refuse to accept that O'Brien goes, goes to therapy. <laughs> <laughs> I also refuse to accept that he dates someone called Mitzi. Mitzi is what he calls his brass knuckles. Yeah. The reason that O'Brien is in therapy is because uh, on a mission he shot someone. And that's like Starfleet rules. Yeah. And he, oh, he yeah. didn't even have to. He transported himself into that situation. It's like just sitting there goes, how do, how do you feel about it? He goes, well, great. I enjoyed it. I'd do it again. Um, what, what are you going to do to like get past this and move forward with the crew well I'm going to ask Worf to stop high-fiving me because I'm busy <laughs> yep transport is a two-hand game <laughs> it is he has to he moves his hands there's, he's, there's, there's two I don't know what he's doing what he's miming O'Brien what what Cole Meany decided to do that got him noticed by the uh, by the directors <laughs> apparently what Cole Meany does is correct okay uh, if you watch the original show where everything was a bit more analogue, what he does on the touchscreen is correct to what they did in the original show. Nice. Yeah. I like that. Oh, I've got to say something. Right. 
after Picard uh, has the meet with the, like meets the Ferengi and they're talking about chairs, and he steps out into the corridor and he has like the most eye roll anyone has ever had. <laughs> given Picard's, given Picard's broader uh, like uh, footprint in popular culture, how has that eye that eye roll not been gifts of fuck? Yeah. <laughs> Like it's it's above the 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 hat like head palm, <laughs> and it's not even in like season one or two, so people will have seen this. Yeah, bizarre. Yeah, I don't have a lot of other notes. The only other note I have is a line where uh, someone said, I think it was Riker said, uh, "Oh, the wormhole." Jordy has been in continual visual observation since we got here, and I think it would be funnier. <laughs> If they then cut to Jordy staring at the wormhole, I I would have loved if he said Jordy after he's been after he'd said that if Picard, if Picard had just looked at him just going, you mean he's been looking at it? Yeah, <laughs> continuous visual. Oh, for fuck's sake! Because um, sometimes sometimes Jordy lets his mouth off in ten forward, yeah. and I'm his boss, <laughs> so even though he's head of engineering. Sometimes I give him a task that there's a lot of ways of reading it, and I know which way Jordy's going to read it. <laughs> Jordy, go look at that. Yeah. <laughs> what? Uh, what? What? Just remember? No, no, no. Look at it. You're done looking at it when I say you're done looking at it. <laughs> Keep an eye on it. Is that a bit? <laughs> the thing with the so um, the thing with the 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 wormhole is it turns out it's not a stable wormhole in the end. Um, and the guy's already like overbid. He's like he's taken the risk of putting all his money like down, and, like getting everything in place, and they're going to give them whatever for access to the wormhole. But the other end just spits you out somewhere random. <laughs> yeah. Um, it leaves the two Ferengi in the Delta Quadrant. That comes up again, does it? Yeah. Because I said to Laura, they should just get Voyager to pick them up. Yeah. Um, Voyager hasn't got lost in the Delta Quadrant yet, but those Ferengis turn up in season three of Voyager, um, and it's it's I, I and I don't like Voyager, but that's a a really good episode. Wow, because I think that I, if I, I'm vaguely recalling it, but the plot is that basically they crash land on a pre warp planet, and because they came from space and they have tech, they've co opted the people's religion. And told them that they are like their gods from the sky, and as such, the entire culture of that planet has been converted into like worshiping greed. Excellent. Yes, it's absolutely. That is what you would do, though, isn't it? Yeah. Like, yeah. there's there's no way I'm crash landed on a planet where I'm inherently superior to everyone else, either due to my own physical nature or due to the technology that I brought with me. And not going, oh, what an opportunity to become a living god. Because yeah. we, we're all looking for opportunities to become a living god at yeah. all times, 24-7. Yeah, that's the plot of, I believe, the Adam Driver movie, 75, uh, 65, that's coming out soon. I don't, I don't know. I wasn't paying attention. It was before I watched Cocaine Bear. I had other things on my mind. Did you watch Cocaine Bear? Is it good? Yeah, I did. Uh, it's not as mental as it could have been, but it's still thoroughly enjoyable. And the... There is a midpoint scene with the ambulance, uh, an ambulance which has um, Scott Size in it, who um, went um, viral uh, a little while ago, being like the guy 
who was responding to people saying things to him in retail, who yeah. I'm just rooting for in general because he's really funny. Um, and the scene, the entire bit with him as an ambulance, like um, paramedic and an ambulance driver, everything with him is absolute gold. Um, I, yeah, it's worth the price of entry alone. Also, it's got Han Solo in it, not nice. the the good one, right? Great, <laughs> the the bad one because it's Excellent. written by Lord and Miller. So, could you use a replicator to just replicate an ice cream machine? I think you could. Re- I think you could use it to like like could you could you replicate all the stuff needed to make your own moonshine or poutine, as a as O'Brien would call it. I I think you can replicate everything to make a replicator. That's what makes the replicator so handy. I think you can just use it. I think because it lets it does ask for like if you wanted to override it, like yeah. to have the unhealthy version. And Troy does. I, I was going to say something about this episode actually, because um, Troy's trying to get ice cream out of the replicator, and then she gets told she has to come down and watch the wormhole open by Picard. Right. There is something that this brought up to my attention about living on the Enterprise that I hadn't considered before. And is the absolute worst. Yeah. When the people I work with invite me for drinks, I can at least pretend that I have something else to do. <laughs> <laughs> like I can, I'm not against having a drink or two with the people I work with. But you yeah. know what? I only, I'm only, I only know my only relation to you is that we share carpet, right? I. You're my, I have actual real friends in the real world that I'd rather be spending my drinking time with. So I like to have one or two and they go, oh, oh, there's that thing I've got to do and then leave, right? Not being able to do that. Just going, oh, what, ten, oh, no, I'm, I'm doing it. I know you're not doing anything. There are five activities happening on board this vessel tonight. <laughs> and you're at none of them. Yeah. And, and it's... And it, It'd be weird to be the guy that, well, how come you've got a slot booked out for two hours on the holodeck every day? What do you do in there? And you go, I just go in there and just be alone. I go to a <laughs> bar with no one else in it except for a barman who knows his fucking business. Yeah. But there is stuff like, so also in this, um, Troy tells the, the guy, Matt McCoy, that um, they're going to be late for dinner, which implies the existence of, you know, reservations. Yeah. And like, a fucking restaurant. So that's something that I don't know. No. Yeah. It would be a bit of a nightmare um, as well. And because it's a military ship, you're almost certainly you've you're definitely gonna be on there with someone that you don't like. And working in a team probably with people that you don't like. And then the one friend that you do find on the ship that you share a deeper connection with, you might be on different shifts. Yeah, but I I thought where you were going to go with that when when Picard says, "Oh, come down and st- don't don't be messing about. Come down and see the wormhole," and she says, "Oh, God forbid, I I miss <laughs> I miss seeing the wormhole open for the first time." I thought you were going to say that the one danger of life on a starship is that eventually you'd just be like, "I've seen it," <laughs> like you'd be jaded. Yeah. Do you know what I mean? You'd you'd be you'd be like, "Oh, good, another supernova, fa- uh, fantastic." Yeah. Oh. Is it the long? Is it the uh, the uh, the wreckage battlefield of a long dead civilization? Yeah, that's the fourth I've seen this week. Like people who live at the Grand Canyon are probably pretty sick of it. 
Especially, especially with the price raises in the local gas stations, because of all the tourists that won't know that there isn't another one for ages. I reckon if I lived at the Grand Canyon, I'd want to live at the bottom of it, because I reckon then you'd have to put up with people too much for the views. Yeah, but it'd be a nightmare to dry your washing. <laughs> it's not full. <laughs> <laughs> oh no, but it's, it rains and. Is it, would it be windier yeah. down there? I don't. I don't know. But if there are any Americans listening to this, tell us how your canyons work. <laughs> if anyone listening to this lives at the bottom of the Grand Canyon, please let us know. We have many questions. Yeah. Um, right. Oh, a, a, interesting thing about this. You know the aerobics scene. Aye. Where they have aerobics. Do you know where that was? No. That's engineering. Is it? Yeah, they moved the what they call the pool table out of the middle, and that's and they put a wall up. Well, I'm um, in it. Yeah, nice. <laughs> um, I'm gonna say, um, I as a as a youngster, I was very much in the Beth camp uh, on <laughs> on the star. Um, da- uh, Troy's really pretty in this episode. Like, I know she's a very attractive woman, but like, like she like knocks it out of the park at this one. So, nice I like one when, there. Um, I liked when the uh, not Steve Gutenberg like messed up her hair, and then was like, "I prefer it this way," and then comes back later, and she's kept it that way for the date. Yeah, that was a uh, yeah. Um, talking about not Steve Gutenberg, I was going to bring this up. I think that so Matt McCoy is a very very attractive man for the eighties. Yeah, because um. Like, you might think that what you think is attractive is, like, innate, but there's a significant amount of, like, social and, uh, like, pressures and societal things and peer pressure and the media you consume affects it greatly. And what has happened in the time since the 80s is that the superhero movie became a thing. Oh, I thought you were going to say there's no opportunities for the white man anymore. (laughs) Yes, Jason Momoa's fault. So no, um, the, um, the the superhero movie came along, and basically, dudes to be at the top of like the Hollywood tree are expected to be jacked, and and therefore yeah. a guy who looks like a, a, a quite anemic Patrick Duffy doesn't really stand up to scrutiny these days. He's just got a very piercing eyes. It's so weird, isn't it? Because it's a, you need to either be very traditionally handsome or handsome in a very different way. Like there's yeah. a guy I don't know if you watched The Bear. But the dude who's sort of the main dude in the bear is like really striking looking, but not mm-hmm. traditionally handsome. Like he's got this great nose and he's got this really interesting face shape, like a really kind of small mouth, but and like really heavy eyelids, and it all kind of works for him. Like you can really imagine him as the head chef of a sandwich shop in Chicago, right? <laughs> but then he's in a scene with like Joe McHale, and I think the only reason <laughs> that Joe McHale didn't get to be a superhero is that I I don't know him but from all accounts he seems like a bit of a dick <laughs> yeah so he seems like a likeable dick but yeah. a bit of a dick but yeah this yeah like like where are the just the, the mid-level handsome guys like what jobs are they getting these days like somebody who um, there are pe- certain people who like, if you take each individual feature on their face, it's not great, but somehow it works together. And usually for those people to be attractive, 
they need to play a very specific type of role. I'm looking at your Adam Drivers. Yeah. Like, Adam Driver's face shouldn't work, but he played Kylo, and there's a certain type of women who want to be force-choked. Yeah. Or even something like... um, Who the fuck was I going to bring up there? Uh, Or even someone like Steve Buscemi. Yeah. Like, I read an interesting Reddit article, and it was was a picture of a young Steve Buscemi, and people saying, oh, he was really handsome. Then other folk going, of course he's fucking handsome. He's in Hollywood. Even the ugly people in Hollywood are good looking. Like, if you knew them in real life, they would be the best looking person you've ever seen. But because they're on yeah. TV or in movies, you think that they're ugly and they're really not. Yeah, it's the, it's the as as we, we've spoken about previously, the top comment on the Red Letter Media um, video where Jack Quaid is there, where somebody's like, Jack Quaid is regularly cast in Hollywood as kind of a, a schlubby, geeky everyman who's not that attractive, but when you put him next to normal, everyday people he looks like a fucking Adonis. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> and this lad along with uh, another Star Trek guest star that we had, I can't remember his name, William something, but he played Cliff Secord in The Rocketeer. Yes. Like, yeah, uh, The Great Akana, that was the episode. Yeah, that's the up. one. Like, yeah. They just came about five years too early to get picked up. Like, that guy legitimately should have been Batman or Superman, and that opportunity just never came up. It's mental that, like, he's the only person from the Rocketeer who didn't go on... Because, like, the main bad guy in the Rocketeer is Timothy Dalton. Yeah. The love interest is Jennifer Connelly, and the director of the Rocketeer, I think, directed Captain America. Joe Johnson, yeah. (laughs) And Paul Sorvino plays, like, a small part of it. (laughs) <laughs> the cast is massive. Alan Arkin yeah. is the mentor. Oscar winner. Yeah, the only person whose career didn't do so well is... Like, yeah, it's, it's an example. He's exactly... If... Let's say... If if in a, in a weird way, if the new adventures of Superman, as we call it over here, or Lois as Clark, as it's known in the, in the States, if that had had, like, a spin-off, like, larger, expanded universe thing around it... That guy would have been like a perfect, like Oliver Queen. <laughs> yeah, I think that Billy Crudup played an absolute blinder because he looked like that around that time as well. But he was like, "I'm going to bide my time and I'm going to start. I'm going to come back into it when I'm just old enough to be playing a dad." <laughs> <laughs> yeah, sometimes dads have superpowers, and that they also earn millions at the box office. So, <laughs> well, this well this has been Mark and Eddie's top five hot guys. Yeah, um, number one, uh, Hemsworth. Uh, the good one, the, not the lesser Hemsworth, obviously. Uh, <laughs> um, I'm, okay, I, this is a complete point from my notes that I've got written down that is like in no way about the episode, it's just a weird thing. Right, you're about the right age to get this, okay? The, um, the, the Starfleet negotiator's name is Mendoza, and I can't hear that name without thinking of Rainier Wolfcastle from The Simpsons. Yeah. Because <laughs> he's the bad guy in the Wolfcastle movie that is in full in the, the two... Is McBain. it the first two Simpsons? Yeah, McBain. Yeah, it's the first two seasons, <laughs> I think, yeah. Yeah. Or the set of the two and three, I believe, maybe. Yeah, it's the... It's the I love I love that. If you if you could track it down, there is a YouTube video where someone has edited together all of the McBain movie, and it's so dumb and so wonderful. 
<laughs> you, by the way, talk about things that you'll remember because of your age. Uh, you mentioned the new adventures of Superman as we knew it over here. Uh, it yeah. took me a it took me a while to learn that it was called Lois and Clark in America, and yeah. uh, it took me slightly longer to learn that that's based on a joke that only Americans would understand. Yeah, because it's a reference to two pioneers, which is Lewis and Clark, which is so bizarre. Because why would you do that? Like, what what are people going to expect? Like Lewis and Clark <laughs> going pioneer west on a different planet. <laughs> And Lois Lane is just constantly like, I wish there were newspapers here, because that really was my <laughs> that really was my calling, Clark. It's also the thing of, like, I'm going to say this: the idea of a man like pioneer is a very limited series because there's not many challenges in the old West or pioneer times that I don't think Superman <laughs> could deal with in seconds. Racism. <laughs> Take him a while to solve that. No, no, no. I just, just, just kill all the racists. Yep. There, there you go. <laughs> just be like, I'm from somewhere else. Do you want to have a, pick a fight with me? <laughs> oh, you want to wear? You want to know where all the gold is? I've got X-ray vision. It's all there. <laughs> Here you go. Who do you give all the gold yeah. to, Superman, or some pioneering young kid called? Walter Disney. I don't think he'll do any damage with it whatsoever. <laughs> and his little his little Mexican friend with a with a goat, Jorge Nestle or something. <laughs> sure, it'll be fine. I'll, 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 don't 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 blame Nestle on the Mexicans. <laughs> they're, they're, they're the Swiss. Are they the Swiss? Even worse, because they, then they then they don't have the good grace to be the French. What that comment means, I don't know, but I look forward to hearing about it in my trial. <laughs> Nestle are... Nestle, are, it's... They are... like Because they're the Swiss, they don't even get to be the worst thing I've ever done. Um, so... <laughs> um, what I was going to say, um, I quite like the end of this episode, when it's like they, get, they find out that they've been... like They haven't won... The, the bit like they've spent all the money, but they have the wormholes used, yeah, basically. Um, and then as a result of that, is like they're like, Oh, you're gonna be in trouble with your employers when you get back. And he's like, Yeah, done a lot of good work over the years, they know the risks, yeah. Sometimes, yeah, you know, you don't win. It's like, Oh, that's quite, quite bafflingly philosophical. <laughs> that's how I mean, that is how capitalism works in the future, like, you wouldn't. Because that guy was like from Belgium, right? So from the European Alliance, so from Earth, so yeah. grew up on Earth, which presumably has Starfleet ideals uh, yeah. of, of utilitarianism and and still private property, but kind of everything is for everyone. And still, he decided to pursue the career course of becoming an absolute bastard. So <laughs> you have to wonder, yeah. like, is obviously obviously in our modern age the talent pool of absolute bastards is massive because yeah. they want to be absolute bastards in order to get ahead. But in a world where no one has to get ahead, yeah. how does that affect that? I mean, are you? is it one where it's like you can't you can't just discard an absolute bastard that you've found that's good at negotiating because he makes one mistake because you don't know when you're going to find another cunt? It's literally just him and that business guy they unfroze. <laughs> 
But I, I was going to say, because I quite like... Uh, have we mentioned that he's a secret empath? No. Um, he is. He's a secret empath. Who, who Troy outs at the end of the episode because they've, like... The negotiation hasn't gone well, which, by the way, that's not okay. Yeah, I don't know. Right. Like, if, if, if the plot point was that, like, you knew a character was secretly gay and, like, the somehow that came into play, you wouldn't be okay to, like, tell everyone if they hadn't chose to share that information. You're not Gorka. Um, <laughs> but also, I really like his, um, his like, justification of like, oh yeah, I use my empathic powers to be an absolute bastard. But it's only in like trade negotiations. Yeah. Whereas you, Troy, use your powers in matters of life and death. And because you're more like a part of the Federation, we like, oh, we're fine with that because you're morally on the right side. Yeah. So says you. And yeah, you arguably <laughs> use your powers for colonialization. Yeah. People die because of Troy's use of her powers. Whereas this guy just, like, fucks you over a bit. I, I, I don't know. I think maybe... And he does it for cash in a human society where cash is useless. Yeah, and that's the thing as well. Like, nobody's going... Like, he just really likes doing this. Yeah, nobody's going hungry or homeless in the Federation because he does this. You can always just go to the Federation and, like, move into a free house and have a replicator like, and shit. Like, there's not... He's not ruining lives. So maybe it's kind of effort. Maybe capitalism can be ethical when all basic needs are met. <laughs> yeah. It's like judging me for my actions in all video games. <laughs> which I would really like people not to do. Right. I wonder if that's a good podcast idea for like famous people. Is You know you get like off menu where people come on and describe their, their favourite meal. Yeah. I wonder if we could have one where we get people on to be like, what is the worst thing that you'd regularly do? And video games. Uh, I don't want regularly do. I want what is the single... Tell us the story. Tell us the story, Henry Cavill, of what is the worst thing you've made Geralt of Rivia do. Yeah. <laughs> like, I am... Um, like, yeah, I think there's uh, there's legs in that. Because, like, among gamers, there's always... Um, I still take great pride in the fact that I talked to the man at Rivet City in Fallout 3 out of killing himself. And yeah. then got all the points for being good. And then he turned around and he was going to go back inside. And then I just pushed him off the ledge anyway. <laughs> There's, um, I've, not, I've not really played much of it. Because I, I kind of found it was too much when I had too much other stuff on at the time. But Disco Elysium is a detective game based entirely on your character choices. And at one mm-hmm. point you have to get by a bouncer into a nightclub. Um, oh, what? Yeah, um, the guy who's got the correct... Aryan skull measurements. Yeah, exactly. Tattooed on his face. This guy's a super racist and your partner is Asian. And my friend discovered that one of the ways that you can get past the bouncer is just to yourself become super racist. And then he lets you in. So, if you haven't played Disco Elysium, first of all, play Disco Elysium. it, 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 It shouldn't exist. Like, everything that that game does, if somebody told me they were making a computer game and they were going to do the things that, like, go, oh, we're going to make it, like, um, so that if you get an idea, you can equip it, and if you internalise it, it changes the skill trees um, yeah. and different parts of your internal dialogue. and all that. I'd be like, you cannot make that game. That is so breathtakingly complex that it is impossible to make. 
And as a result, I don't think Disco Elysium should exist. And yet it does. And it's incredible. But that is where you get the idea for racism for the first time. And yeah. you can internalise it. And like you can play a racist character. Um, if you haven't played... Just play it. Um, one of my favourite things to do in it is you can equip the idea that you're a superstar cop. <laughs> and, and, and to do that, you have to take a loss of five points in your logic because there is no rational reason to believe it. <laughs> Excellent. Yeah. Yeah, oh. it's... It's amazing. Do we have anything um, more for this episode? I don't really feel like there is anything more. I have one thing. Go on. I really like um, when Riker's little interaction with the Starfleet um, negotiator, when he says, um, you should be, you must be a good poker player, and Riker's response is, poker? Never heard of it. Yeah. <laughs> and then, so, and then Picard's like, <laughs> yeah, and then Pike, Pike, Picard's like, oh no, he regularly rinses everyone. He's, <laughs> Including our android, who has a supercomputer brain, regularly takes all of his money. <laughs> I also really like the bit when Jordy and Data flew into the wormhole on a recce mission, and Jordy yeah. voices, "Oh man, you know, I, I really don't fancy this being the rest of my life if we get stuck through here." And Data says, "No, you'll be fine, Jordy. You'll have me to speak to." <laughs> I said to Laura, "I don't think I would mind being stuck with Data for quite an extended period of time because I like explaining things." Yeah, um, I feel more sorry for Data who because so in that situation they could point the shuttle pod back and it they say it take over a hundred years at warp nine to get back so at shuttle pod speed probably you know two hundred years so that would be a period in which Data has to watch Geordie grow old and die um, so that's not good no. <laughs> I was going to say one other thing, though, because there's a, a like a, a Starfleet diplomat on this. Yeah, shouldn't the Enterprise like have one of those as like a regular thing? Like they meet people all the time for like trade negotiations, shouldn't they? I know that Picard is a bit of a diplomat, but shouldn't they have like a specialist like negotiator person who that's their job, rather than having to get Troy to do it constantly because <laughs> she needs a break. Yeah, I agree. Um, Who do you get, O'Brien? <laughs> I would like you have put had like another cast member, like not like one of the existing cast. But um, so who would you who who do you promote this this week? Um, I guess Troy Raker, Picard, sort of everyone. So this is a Troy episode, but it's not like. It's Troy doing work. It's yeah. like a personal episode. So I think Troy's like a wash. I give Riker a promotion. Yeah. And I give a demotion to Bev uh, for, like, not close. Like, uh, like, oh, he's been poisoned in some way and you can't reverse it. And also, it should be easy to reverse it. Just go and ask the Ferengis for their poison. <laughs> yeah. Because <laughs> obviously the Ferengis. <laughs> yeah. No, I agreed. Yeah. Demotion yeah. to Bev. But yeah, good episode. I really yeah. enjoyed this one. Yeah, me um, I've enjoyed every episode in season three. Yep. It's been pleasant. I feel like there's going to be... I'm worried that the other shoe's going to drop and we're going to see an episode that's truly terrible soon. Probably. Yeah. But, oh well. Oh well, uh, we'll cross that bridge when we come to it. Yeah. Yeah, nice one. All right, well, bye. Yeah, Bye. 
The Captain Slog is performed by Mark O'Neill and Eddie Edwards. You can follow both of them on Twitter and Instagram. Mark's at RealMarkO'Neill and Eddie is at Ed Edwards Comedy. If you like the podcast, you can follow us on Instagram, Twitter and now on YouTube at Captain Slog. And we have a Facebook page as well. Or if you really like what we do here, you can support us on Patreon at patreon.com forward slash Captain Slog. <laughs>